You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 85. Today's reading is from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 9, verses 18 through 24. Brethren, God has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens the heart of whomever he wills. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, a man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me thus? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for beauty and another for menial use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience the vessels of wrath made for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles? Father, would you begin today by helping us to understand what Paul means when he says in the opening verse from today's reading, quote, God has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens the heart of whomever he wills. And I'm, I'm really interested in the, the latter part of that verse, God hardening the heart. Yeah, of course, Jason, uh, as you know now, we absolutely need to understand the context of this passage before we start diving into what exactly it means. Yes, I'm, I'm definitely used to that, Father, <laughs> and I suspected that that was the case. And I think it's especially important here because... There's been an entire theology built around this passage, and while that theology doesn't make sense to me intuitively as an Orthodox Christian and doesn't seem to align with the teaching in our church, I guess I can kind of see how that theology developed in looking at this passage in in isolation, or at least giving it a lot of emphasis. Right, absolutely, and that's why I always, always, always stress the context being important. You can take all sorts of passages in isolation from the Bible, and really, if you think about it, any large piece of literature, you can develop something around isolated passages that make no sense in the context of the wider work, and that's exactly what we have here. So, Father, maybe we should begin by just explaining briefly how some people understand this passage, what this theology we're talking about says, and then we can look at the passage as a whole to see if that theology holds up or if there's a better way to understand it. Yeah, good idea. So we're talking about the theology of predestination, as it's called, and I don't want to get too sidetracked on that theology itself and to speak about all of its nuances and so forth, but I I do want to explain sort of the popular understanding of that theology. And in short, I would say uh, that theology teaches that some people are predestined by God to go to heaven, and others are predestined by God to go to hell. And what that means is that essentially you have no choice in the matter. God has either chosen you or not chosen you. And people who see you living a life according to God's will, well, it's because God chose them. And those who live contrary to God's will, it's because God selected them to be condemned. And again, Father, to be honest, you you can't see how people can fit that theology into this passage I read today. Yet that theology of predestination 
is not a doctrine that our church teaches, and it never has. So what is going on? How did we get to this point? What is it that Paul's saying exactly? Yeah, and I see what you're saying, and what I find so ironic about the theology of predestination, and especially as it relates to this passage, is that the people that espouse that doctrine, they, they seem to consider themselves as the ones chosen to go to heaven. So you never hear them say that they or any of the active members of their church are people chosen to go to hell. So it really makes it like this insider club. It's sort of like turning Christianity into an exclusive elite club. And so is that what Paul was trying to do? I mean, again, it it seems to me intuitively that the answer is no, but... Again, this theology seems to, to fit into the passage that I read earlier. Yeah, right, and that's why we always need context. So no, Paul is not saying anything like uh, this doctrine of, of predestination. He's not making the scriptural religion an exclusive club. In fact, uh, what's so interesting when you look at this passage in its context is that St. Paul is doing the exact opposite of what the doctrine of predestination does. So rather than making an exclusive club, Paul is making his community an inclusive club, a religion that accepts people from all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all types of backgrounds. And rather than making God seem like this mean, nasty person who creates people just to watch them burn in hell, what Paul is actually getting at here is that God is the God of all nations, of all peoples. And how do you arrive there from this passage, Father? Because if you look at the entirety of what St. Paul does in Romans, and specifically if you look at what leads up to this passage, so talking here about the first eight chapters of Romans, you read from Romans 9, you can see that what St. Paul is doing is showing how the covenant community of God is biblically required to make room for the Gentiles. And what Paul was fighting against was this notion that one had to become a Jew to be part of the community of God, even if they believed in Jesus as the Messiah. And so he's fighting this understanding, or really we should say this misunderstanding of Scripture, that a Gentile has to effectively become a Jew to be blessed by God and to be part of the community. That's what it means to say that a Gentile must become circumcised, that the Gentiles have to follow the Jewish dietary laws and so forth. It means that you're making them become a Jew. And Paul is saying, no, no, that's not the case. The Gentiles can be part of the covenant community, and they don't have to become Jews, because God's mercy can extend to the Gentiles also. And so Paul's saying to the Jews, who are you to tell God that he cannot have mercy also on the Gentiles? If God wants to have mercy on them, then you have no right and no ability to stop him. He'll have mercy on whomever he has mercy, and he'll harden the heart of whomever he will, which could be a Jew. So there's no guarantee that just because you're Jewish that it will lead to you being blessed, and there's no assurance that because you're a Gentile, you cannot be blessed by God. And so again, I really want to stress this point that what Paul is doing is the exact opposite of what we so often hear when people refer to this passage with respect to the doctrine of predestination. So again, the doctrine of predestination, at least as popularly understood, makes Christianity essentially into some type of an exclusive club. Only certain people who have been chosen by God to go to heaven, while those outside the community the community of those preaching predestination, those outside that community have already been predestined for hell. Yet again, this entire book of Romans leading up to these statements by Paul that you read in chapter 9 are leading one to understand that God can be merciful to those outside your community if he wants, and you can't stop him and it's none of your business. He'll do what he wants to do. 
And if you don't like that, well, too bad. It's God's business to be the judge. It's God's business to be merciful to others if he wants. And that takes absolutely nothing away from you, from the covenant community, if God is being merciful to others. So what's the problem? That's what St. Paul's saying. God can be merciful to others, and that doesn't make him less merciful to or loving of you. Father, thanks for that explanation. And it makes a lot of sense. Um, And it also seems to correspond with some other significant passages uh, of the Bible, uh, particular stories. For example, I think of the story of the prodigal son or the story of Jonah. Do you see a connection there also? Yeah, absolutely. It's very similar uh, to the story of the prodigal son, because in that story, the father says, to the son, the one who remained faithful all the time, you know, what are you upset about? Uh, I gave you your inheritance in advance. I continue to be loving and merciful to you. So what's the big deal if I'm also merciful to your brother who was lost, the prodigal, but he's been found and has now been brought back into the fold so that we should rejoice. It's the exact same thing as what Paul is getting at here in Romans 9. And then, like you said, the story of Jonah many similarities. Jonah doesn't want to take the message to his enemy, to the outsider, to people outside the covenant community, and yet God forces Jonah's hands. He tells him, you know, that's too bad. Those are my people too. You're going to take the message. You don't have to like it, but one way or another, you're taking the message to them because I love them too, and that takes absolutely nothing away from you. So you can see the similarities. And ultimately, Jason, it's very much like we see with children and parents. With Jason, It's a little bit different because you had twins first, so there was never just one. But for most of us parents, you have your first child, and that first child becomes your main focus. And we often see how the first child gets jealous of the second child because now that child is getting a lot of attention because they need that attention to survive and thrive as a newborn. And, you know, it's a well-documented phenomenon, this jealousy that happens when a second child arrives. It happens all the time in families. But any of our listeners who are parents, we know having another child never, never makes us love our first child less. And if we have a third child, we don't love our second child less. Love doesn't work that way. It's not quantifiable. It's not a zero-sum game. And that's exactly what God teaches throughout Scripture. What Paul is teaching in this passage that you read, Jason, God can love his children among the Gentiles, and that takes absolutely nothing away from his children among the Jews. Thank you, Father. Our reading today was viewed through the lens of predestination and that of the Orthodox Church. As Father Aaron has so often stressed, taking a selection of verses out of context can lead to very erroneous conclusions. And today's reading is no exception. Here we see Paul's words used to support a theology that teaches that God has chosen some for heaven and others for hell. This creates an exclusive club those chosen to be saved, and precludes our ability to exercise our free will. But this theology is contrary to Paul's broader message throughout the first eight chapters of Romans, where he makes his argument that, unlike predestination with its exclusive club, Christianity is a religion that is inclusive and accepting of people from all nations, tribes, and tongues. Taken a step further, Paul contends that there is a biblical requirement to make room for the Gentiles, and that becoming a Jew was not required for someone to become part of the church. And so we see that God does not arbitrarily decide our salvation beforehand, but God shows mercy to those whom he chooses, whether they are Jew or Greek. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. 
Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God. Oh, 